Hello and welcome to the Heirs to Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Micaela, your host. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 40. Today I'm going to be discussing Chamber of Secrets, book first movie. So I'm not necessarily going to do like a whole summary of the movie and book. I'm just comparing them both, mentioning the things that I liked and didn't like or or like, why did they change this? And just things like that. But overall, this movie is a great adaptation of the book, one of the best of the series. So I'm really excited to get into it. And I know it's been a month. I last recorded on February 13th, and today is March 13th. And I'm going to post this episode today as soon as I record it. And like I had said in a few episodes prior that I got so busy with school because I'm in grad school. So again, School got kind of crazy, but I'm back, I'm recording now, and I want to do a few in advance so that I have them for the next few weeks, so I'm going to make sure that I have some prepared for that. So before I get into my opinions about Book First Movie for Chamber of Secrets, I just want to remind everybody that you can email me at the Heirs of Slytherin Podcast, my Twitter is at Slytherin Pod, Facebook page is the Heirs of Slytherin Podcast, and this podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. And you can leave a donation in that Anchor link, a voice message, whatever you'd like. And I don't really have any new Wizarding World, Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts news or that kind of stuff. The only thing I do want to mention is last night was the Oscars. And of course, they always do the in-memoriam portion of the evening. And Robbie Coltrane was shown in that portion. So... Um, it was brief and it was sad, you know, because in memoriam, of course, it's usually going to be sad, but it was nice to see him being recognized amongst other talents in the film industry. And there were also some actors that are in Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts that were nominated. For instance, Bill Nye, he plays Rufus Scrimgore. He was nominated for Best Actor for Living. And Brendan Gleeson was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in The Banshees of Insurin. I might have said that wrong. Insurin, honestly. I don't have the full name pulled up for me right now. But it's The Banshees of Insurin or Insurin. Um, and also nominated for that movie was Colin Farrell for Best Actor. He was in Fantastic Beasts in the first movie, just Fantastic Beasts. And he played Graves. Also, I wanted to say Brendan Gleeson played Mad Eye Moody. I didn't say that before, but Brendan Gleeson plays Mad Eye Moody and he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor in that movie with Colin Farrell. Okay, so now let's get started. First of all, it's amazing. The Chamber of Secrets movie is just amazing. It is an amazing adaptation. I have mentioned this a few times. I, I've always loved all the Harry Potter movies and books. But Chamber of Secrets was never like one of my top favorites. I always loved it, but it just wasn't like in my top few compared to the other movies and books. And doing this podcast, I've, I mean, I've read the book so many times, seen the movie countless times. But as I'm doing my notes for this podcast, as I was doing them, I was like, wow, I really like Chamber of Secrets. I always have, but I, I found a new new appreciation for it this time around. And it was just so good. I really, really enjoyed it, and so I'm really excited to mention like what I liked and didn't like about the movie, even though I found a new love for it in this journey of doing this podcast. So overall, it really is amazing. It is so good, and Dobby has always been one of my favorite characters, and he is just so well done in this film. 
He was computer generated and just the mannerisms. He walks as he's supposed to. He's feeble. He's small. He's been horribly abused for so long. And he he walks that way. The way they animated him, his mannerisms, it's just so well done. Toby Jones voiced him. Phenomenal job. It's He did such a great job. I cannot say enough good things about Dobby the character and the way he was created for this movie and for Deathly Hollows when we see him again. Just his struggles and everything are portrayed so well with the computer-generated uh, movements and Toby Jones's voice, the eyes, everything. So great. So in the beginning of this movie, we start off with less info about Harry Summer. In the book, of course, there's additional information in the first chapter or two about that. And honestly, it's okay for the sake of movie, you know, time constrict constrictions. Also, I should mention... Chamber of Secrets is the longest Harry Potter movie. It's the longest Harry Potter movie out of all eight of them. And it is the second shortest book out of all of them. Sorcerer's Stone is the only book that's shorter. So, yeah. Do with that information what you will. Basically, I don't think it needed to be the longest one, but it is the longest movie. But, yeah, so... Given that information, I think it still has enough from the book in it. And I think that this information about Harry Summer didn't need to be in the movie. So it's not like it's a big loss. So the only thing that I think is funny in the book is when Harry says random words. Like he says like higgery, diggery, hocus pocus. He just says random words like that to make Dudley think that he's about to like put a spell on him basically. That's the only thing that kind of would have been funny in the movies. But it's again, it's not like a big loss. And the gist of that information from the book is that Harry hasn't received letters. Um, it also doesn't show how badly he was being treated. He was being um, barely fed. And especially after Dobby came and got Harry in trouble with his uncle, like all of that, it was even worse. Harry was only let out of his room twice a day. He was given... Um, he was just getting food shoved in his room. Hedwig couldn't leave. Like, it was bad. It was very terrible living conditions. But we don't get that information in the movie. So that's pretty much, like, the first chapter. And then you have Dobby, of course, coming in. Like I mentioned, the mannerisms, the voice, everything. And just the way Harry interacts with him. Like, a big applause, of course, to Daniel Radcliffe, too, was just fantastic in these movies. But it's just... It's almost like I don't even know what more to say about it because it's just so good. And the interactions and everything, they follow the lines from the book pretty well, the dialogue pretty well. So overall, just really well done. So of course, you know, Harry gets in trouble with Vernon and everything. That all happens in the movie as well. But when the Weasley boys come to rescue Harry, in the movie, the twins don't come inside to go to get Harry's trunk, which I think would have been kind of interesting to see. But again, time constraints. And in the book, Molly Weasley was way more upset about the car and how the boy stole it and went to go get Harry. Like in the book, she is absolutely livid. In the movie, it's just kind of like, uh, well, you guys did this. I'm Well, it's more than that. You know, the iconic like beds empty, no, no, car gone. You could have died. You could have been seen. She says that. But in the in the book, she's definitely a lot more angry. And so also with Chamber of Secrets, there's a lot of really good deleted scenes that I like, or depending on which version you're watching, like if it's an extended version, their deleted scenes are in there. 
And so one of them is the Borgen and Burks. It's like the extended scene where Lucius and Draco Malfoy come in and Lucius is selling some of his things. And he mentions the raids that are going on in the ministry in the regular theatrical version without deleted scenes. You're not going to get that extra information that was added in um, that is directly from the book. So it's just, you know, just little details, of course, but, you know, time and all that. Also, Lucius mentions the Muggle Protection Act in there, which is interesting, too. And one of the things that I do not like about the movie and that so many fans don't like is that the Oculus Reparo, Hermione repairs Harry's glasses in the movie. You know, underage wizards are not allowed to use magic outside of school. That is the law. It's so big. It's again, like Chamber of Secrets. You don't see Harry, you know, the warning about the magic. You don't see that in the movie, but it happens. It's the basis that the ministry uses to expel Harry from Hogwarts in order to the Phoenix. So, I mean, Hermione being able to do the spell, it's kind of like, like, what are you doing? This is no, not allowed, but either way they do show that Hermione repairs Harry's glasses for some reason in this book or I mean, sorry, in this movie, in the book, it's Mr. Weasley. So again, this was such an unnecessary change and really inaccurate. So in the movie, of course, Lucius, Draco, the Weasleys, Harry, Hermione are all in Flourish and Blots and Gilderoy Lockhart was signing the books. I love that introduction of um, Gilderoy Lockhart. It was great. Kenneth Branagh, who plays him, phenomenal job. So I also really think that the Malfoys and the trio and the Weasleys, that interaction in the movies is really like, it's ominous. It's, it's threatening. Like, you know, there's like some hostility there. And I think that was really well done. I like the way that they did that. On September 1st, the day that students return to Hogwarts, in the book, it is a lot more chaotic. Like, they keep forgetting things. They have to go back to the borough and get them. Jenny forgets the diary. It's a big hint. I mean, it's not necessarily a huge hint, but once you, like, read the whole book and you go back and you're like, oh, yeah, that's the diary. It's a big hint in that sense. If you're reading it for the first time, you're not going to catch on to it. But... In the book, it's way more chaotic. They forget these things. She forgets her diary. They have to go back. In the movie, it's still chaotic, but they don't show all of that. They just show them the Weasleys and Harry rushing into the station. And so the car following the train is really well done, like that whole scene. I mean, of course, Harry and Ron can't get through the, the platform. It's The barriers just shut. They crash into the wall. That's I like the way they do that in the book. Um, or sorry, the movie. They flip over on their trolleys. But the car following the train, very well done. Um, it's just so pretty. All of the locations and, you know, movie magic added into these movies is great. But it, it is really pretty. I love the way it was done um, with all the greenery and all that. The train, it, it's just great. They did add in the little bit of Harry almost falling out completely, like crashing down. And, you know, it's just a little more excitement in the movie in that scene. It's pretty good. Otherwise, the alternative would probably be the book of course i mean they just kind of drive for a few hours following the train and then eventually it's not as fun as it was like two hours before and then they get to hogwarts and then the whomping willow happens but you know a little bit of action added with harry almost falling out of the train and in the movie we don't see hedwig being mad at harry she gets she's mad at harry for months in the book so we don't see her starting to be mad at harry um, or we don't really see her mad at him for the whole movie. We don't see much of her at all. But the Whomping Willow scene again, well done as well. I liked it. 
And I like when they are back um, inside the castle and Filch, oh dear, they are in trouble. It's a great part. And with Snape saying, do you have any idea how serious this is? Of course, Alan Rickman as Snape is great. That line delivery was really good. Um, it would have been cool to actually see Dumbledore tell them if like you guys break any more rules, I'll have to expel you. He does say that in the book, not in the movie. And I think that would have been nice to see. It shows a little bit more higher stakes for their situation. So again, another deleted scene is the quick spell envelope. In the book, it's chapters and chapters in. Harry is in Filch's office and he sees the quick spell envelope and, you know, that gets all that information about the squibs and Filch being a squib. In the movie, literally the only thing we see in that is the deleted scene in this moment, in the beginning of this movie where Harry picks up the envelope. It's like, oh, Filch, I think you dropped this, you know, and he picks it up and it's like, oh no, Harry saw it. Like, it's not anything super exciting. Again, it's really something for the people who read the books. If you're just watching movies and you see this, you're not going to know what that is, you know? So the books is, it's big for book readers to see that, but that's all it is. It doesn't really lead anywhere, you know, for the rest of the movie or, or even the book really after um, Harry does see that envelope. Speaking of envelopes, the next thing I want to talk about is the howler, that big red envelope. It is, that's really well done. The way they, I guess, computer generator, animator, whatever it was, the howler to be speaking, like as a, the form of a mouth, Mrs. Weasley, the voice, everything. I really like the way that was done. Um, and it's very similar to like the lines that she says in the book. And in the book too, something that is similar with line in terms of lines is Lockhart, like the lines he says. Delivery is great, of course, but he's more ridiculous in the book. He talks more about himself and his fake accomplishments. The Cornish Pixie scene, I think, was very well done. I love Neville being hung up on the chandelier. Like, I, that scene was well done. Something, though, that I don't really think is well done. Not that it's done badly or done poorly. I just am not, like, super fond of how a lot of Ron's lines are given to Hermione in the movies. So we know Hermione's smart. Um, she does a lot of research. She's read a lot of books. She's learned what she a lot of what she knows about the Wizarding World through extra research. And that's great. And it's plausible that she's going to know a lot more information, definitely more than Harry, despite them both being raised by muggles. But she doesn't know everything. Ron, however, he doesn't know everything either. He doesn't really he doesn't put in work to extra research, you know. But he did grow up with wizards. His whole family are wizards, both sides. He's a pureblood. He's, magic is all he's ever known, like the wizarding world, right? He knows a lot. And Hermione, in the movie, she's the one who tells or explains what mudblood means. In the book, it's Ron that explains it, you know? And so, I, I mean... This didn't really used to bother me before until like recent years where I was like, why do they do that? Like, why do they give so many of Ron's lines and explanations to Hermione? It, I feel like it almost takes away from Ron, you know, cause Ron's not dumb and he's not necessarily this. He isn't, the purpose of Ron is not comic relief. And I feel like sometimes in the movies he is portrayed as that in some scenes. And I just think it would have been interesting for Ron to be like, well, this is what it means because that's what he does in the book. And not that it adds more credibility to Ron, but I mean, 
it's just literally, that's like, I just don't know why that was changed. It just isn't necessary. It, I feel like it, the only reason for it is just like, oh, this is Hermione. She knows so much. She's so smart. And, you know, again, like it didn't used to bother me. And it's not like it, I don't sleep over it at night. But I always think about it. Like when I'm watching it and that part comes up, I'm like, oh, yeah, Ron could have said that or should have said that like he did in the book. Another thing about that scene, the mudblood scene, like Draco, you know, that's a great job, the portrayal and everything. But I like how in the book, all like all the whole Gryffindor Quidditch team is like, what? Like yelling at Malfoy, all mad and raged. And in the movie, not so much. It's really just like some shocked faces. And then Ron being the one to, you know, do the slug curse that doesn't really work. But I think I would have liked to see more of an outrage because, you know, the terrible meaning of the word. So I think that would have been interesting to see. But one thing I did like too, like kind of the scene after that, after she tells Harry what it means and Hagrid's hut with Ron and, um, and Harry there is after that Lockhart and Harry, they have detention together, right? Or I guess it's more Harry has detention with Lockhart. unfortunately for Harry line delivery in this scene is just impeccable. I know I keep saying line delivery for so much of this, but it's true. Like this, that's part of it. The portrayal of these characters that the actors do. Part of it is the line delivery and mannerisms and things like that. And Kenneth Branagh as Gilderoy Lockhart, this part was really well done. Like telling him famous little frickle friend, Harry celebrity is as celebrity does. It's just so well done. Even the way that he says, um, time flies when you're having fun, spooky, Daniel Radcliffe, spooky. Like it's, I mean, you have to be watching it to kind of understand what I mean, unless you're like a super, um, knowledgeable fan and you just know these parts you know it's but I I really do like that part a lot just spooky the way they say that that's when Harry hears the basilisk's voice for the first time and it's described as like a chilling icy like you know cold evil voice in the book and the voice of the basilisk is fantastic fantastic in the movie and this is actually something that I just learned for the first time when I was doing these notes for this episode like a couple weeks ago. I was like, oh my gosh, I did not know this before. I don't know how I didn't know it, but I didn't and now I do. The voice of the Basilisk is Jason Isaacs. Jason Isaacs, of course, is the actor who plays Lucius Malfoy. And he just does a fantastic job as the Basilisk. He just kills it. Like that voice is so good. And... Jason Isaacs, my, my favorite show of all time, it's Avatar The Last Airbender, and he plays Commander Zhao. So it is just so cool that, and he does voice acting for other shows and things like that as well. But, you know, Chris Columbus was like, well, you're a great like voiceover artist. Why don't we have you do the voice? And it just worked so great. I, I love that part. The voice really is chilling and spooky. Like, great job. No notes for that part at all. The voice is just, it's just great. I also really like the visual of the blood written on the walls. Like, I mean, I don't want to say it's like a font, but it kind of is, you know, like the way that it was written and painted on there. However, they did that. It was, I just like the visual of it. It's really well done. And of course, Tom Felton delivering the you'll be next Mudbloods line as Draco. Really great. Another great line delivery is David Bradley as Argus Filch. He delivers that I'll kill you line like I'm I'm scared if that was me if I was Harry I'd be terrified like he does such a great job at that part really portraying the depth of Filch's emotion 
and love and connection and attachment, whatever you want to call it, that he has for his pet cat, Mrs. Norris. Like, it's convincing. I'd be very scared. And I think he just does a great part of that. And he's just, I think he's really underrated as Phil. She plays him so perfectly. And I also really like the whole ominous feeling like I think this movie does a great job like all the extras and all the other students and everything they do a good job of like really also contributing to the music John Williams the composer great music combined with that it gives a really good job of setting this up as something that is super ominous and threatening and scary and dangerous and I think everything is just great especially Dumbledore saying everyone except you three like it's it's very very well done A change in the movie from the book was the history of the Chamber of Secrets in terms of how it was being told to the students. In the book, it's Professor Binns, the history of magic teacher. And in the movie, it's Professor McGonagall, of course. Professor Binns wasn't, like, you know, really cast in these movies. So it isn't, like, a huge upsetting change. And I think that... Maggie Smith is McGonagall. She did a great job of telling the story. And of course, it's just great acting. And I like that scene, that change with the Slytherins being in there. And, you know, the students kind of understanding, you know, like this is some scary stuff, whether it's legend or not. I think it's just really well done in the movie. Next thing in the movie that I'm, you know, again, like I don't have a bunch of complaints about this movie, but something that just makes more sense in the books, of course, is that the book for that has the polyjuice potion and most poem potions, it is in the restricted section in the book. And they have to give teachers permission to sign it and to sign a note, you know, saying that they can check out that book. And of course, Lockhart's the fool that does it for them. And it just makes more sense because it's like, this is a dangerous potion and it's, you know, they're not supposed to be doing it. And it's more intense in the book in that sense. And in the movie, Hermione just goes to um, a bookshelf in the library and like runs her finger along the spines of the books. It's like, oh yeah, this is the one. And then walks it over to Harry and Ron. Again, you can't show everything because of time, but that's like a little detail that, you know, would have added to the intensity of what they were trying to do with the Polyjuice Potion, brewing it. Something though about that scene Emma Watson as Hermione, the line where she says, and it'll be dangerous, very dangerous. I love the way she says that. And if you notice like my episode titles, um, I don't know what the percentage is, but I feel like a good majority, I will name them after lines in the book because of, I think that it's funny or that it fit in well or the line delivery, whatever it may be. I'll, a lot of times I'll like, do that I'll name an episode from a line in that scene you know from the movie so in this case where she says and it'll be dangerous very very dangerous I did name episode 30 that so I just liked that part and it was notable because I liked it enough to name an episode that the way she said it so something about the next scene which is the Quidditch scene right It's really funny to see, you know, the, I was going to say banter, but I guess it's not really banter because it's pretty mean. I don't know if some banters might be mean, but basically like Tom Felton as Draco chanting for the ballet Potter. Like I like those scenes. I like the whole Quidditch scene. The Nimbus 2000 ones look super cool. 
But I do wish that there would have been more of the twins. In the book, the twins are working super hard, working overtime to save Harry from the rogue bludger because they have to, like, you know, they're going, they're, they're flying all over the place and they have to get out of the way because it's about to hurt Harry. Like, it's, they're working really hard to do that in the book. And in the movie, it's just kind of like Harry just has to fly away from it. So, you know, again, time, money, like, not that this movie had a small budget, definitely did not. But I know, like, there's other things they need to show, and you don't necessarily need to show the twins working hard to save Harry from the bludger, but I think it would have been cool to see. Once the bludger does get Harry and it breaks his arm, it's, was it his elbow? I think it's his arm. I can't fully remember. But once he does, you know, he's on the ground of the fields and everything. And the way Lockhart, Kenneth Branagh as Lockhart running toward him with his like robes flying behind him in the background, that part is just great. And I love the way that he carries like, no, not you. And he does the spell Brachimamendo and removes all of Harry's bones. And the way that he just tosses his wand aside as if this was nothing and it was the easiest thing. And he does this 20 times a day. I love the way they did that. It's just a little... Again, just these little mannerisms that are in the movies that make Harry Potter fans just in awe of like how good they are. Like this is just so funny. This is so well done. And it's one of those parts for me, the way he just tosses the wand aside as if it was the easiest thing and it it just goes terribly. So I, I think that part is great. Then that brings us to the hospital wing when Harry's staying there overnight and we see Dobby for the second time. And let me tell you again, Dobby, like I think this scene is perfect no notes on it. I literally don't have any notes on it. It is so good. The the line delivery again, the way Dobby looks, all of that besides the point. One of the things I really love about this scene is Harry tells Dobby, you know, like, why is history going to repeat itself? Who's doing it now? What's going on? And Harry, or Dobby tells Harry, I can't tell you. Dobby can't say, because he doesn't use the word I. He only uses Dobby. Um, Dobby just wants Harry Potter to be safe. When he says that, he taps Harry's hand, like he pats it and rubs it like in a reassuring, affectionate way. Like, I just want you to be safe. It is, I love that part. Such a good little detail. Again, like no notes on it. It's just so great. So again, bravo on the mannerisms, the noises, the voice. When Harry's like, you better co- or clear off Dobby before my bones come back or I might strangle you. And I, the way he like kind of gives like a little yell and jumps off the bed. Like, again, it's, it is so great. Something too, that would have been, I would have loved to see in the movie was the way Dobby, like he's patting Harry's head with like a towel. Like he's like taking care of Harry while he's asleep in the book. But in the movie, Harry hears the voice again. And then he like opens his eyes and looks up and Dobby's just kind of like looming over him. So that would have been nice to see. But either way, still really well done. Again, for a time, something that I think would have been kind of nice to see is Dumbledore or McGonagall saying, like, just like they did in the book, that Colin was sneaking off to probably bring some stuff to Harry to go see Harry because he admires Harry so much. And we don't really see that in the movie and the book, it is evident, like, you know, there's more interactions and stuff like that, but I think that would have been kind of cool to see. So then the scene cuts to the bathroom. They're moaning Wordle's bathroom the trio because that's where they're going to be brewing the polyjuice potion or mostly Hermione. And 
That part is good. I just love how relaxed it is. The trio's in there. The boys have their sleeves rolled up. And it's a great intro to Myrtle. She looks great. The way they did her, I think it was computer generated again. The way they made her just looks so good. I love it. And the next scene is, I have it all caps, like the dueling club, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, epic. Like I just, it's so good. I adore this scene. Lockhart with the shoulder, it's like off the shoulder, half shoulder, one shoulder, whatever cape that he just has on and throws into the audience. It is so good. It is so funny. I love that part. It just shows off like his ridiculousness and how full of himself he is and how some of these people at Hogwarts are just so excited that he's there. Like that is like super cool. And something I don't, Harry didn't meet Justin in the book at this part, but he does in the movie, not like a huge, you know, like upsetting change, but I think it would have been more interesting to see Justin like and Harry meet before that, you know, just to add a little bit more, um, establishedness, establishment. What am I trying to say? Just to add a little bit more of an established interaction. You know, this is the first time they meet in the movie and it's kind of like, Oh, Hey, I'm here. I'm, I know who you are, even though I'm a muggle born and you know, it still does what it needs to do. It still gets the point across the purposes for Justin to see, meet Harry and be like, Oh yeah, I'm a muggle born. And for Harry to know he's a muggle born, you know, like that's, that's what the purpose of that is of them meeting. So it's not like a huge change, but you know, it would have been cool to see that like earlier on again, timing wise, not a big, huge thing. Um, I love this though. Um, Lockhart saying that Ron and Harry can duel each other and Snape's like, no, I might suggest someone from my house. And then Harry and Malfoy and, and the music. Oh my gosh, the music at this part is so, so, so good. Good luck, Potter. Thank you, sir. One's at the ready. Scared, Potter. You wish. I just had to play that clip because it is that good. Like again, no notes. It is so good. No notes at all. I love the scared Potter. You wish the music. It's just epic. I love how it's this. It's this showdown and everyone's reactions. It's just so good. The snake and the parcel tongue, all that. I also love the twins' reactions. Everyone looks like just genuinely scared, and they just look severe. And Lockhart and Snape. It's a great detail. That I didn't really notice this watch. Of course, Lockhart and Snape, yes, because the cameras are focused on them. But the twins this time, like their faces, like I didn't really notice that before. So I liked seeing that detail. Then the trio runs back to the common room. So Harry, Ron, Hermione. And something that I didn't really pay much attention to until like, I mean, of course, I've seen it so many times. But this time when I rewatched it for these notes, I was really paying attention to Rupert Grant as Ron Weasley. His reactions when Harry's like, what? I didn't know I could speak parcel tongue. I'm sure people here can do it. Um, I said a python on my cousin at the zoo once. Like that whole scene where he's explaining and, and Harry and, or sorry, Ron and Hermione are just like scared. Like, Harry, this is not normal. This part, Rupert Grint's reactions as Ron, like he, of course, his line delivery is perfect, but also like the faces he's making are just, are really great. Like it, 
I don't know. I don't even, I just have perfect written in my notes because like the way he did it, it was just perfect. The shock and like the concern and the surprise and it's so good. I really recommend for you guys like to rewatch like the whole movie, of course, but this scene in particular, just watch his faces, the faces he makes. It, it is so good. Like these, these people were pros and they were like 12, 13 years old when they shot this. So very, very well done. Of course, something totally unnecessary in my opinion, but you know, I, I, you know, it's a little deleted scene and it's, it's unnecessary, but you know, it's, it's just something that they added in, um, was Harry, you know, kind of overlooking Hogwarts and Hedwig's there with him. And he says, what am I Hedwig? Who am I? Or he says, who am I? What am I? Whichever order it is. It's just kind of funny. You know, I just put LOL in my notes. Like it was just a random kind of scene thrown in there. I guess it's just to portray Harry's like confusion and about like everything that's been happening so far, the parcel tongue and, you know, just info that he's learning. So the scene after it's, um, just there in what looks to be kind of like the great hall, but it's not because it's a lot smaller. It's just like a little open classroom is it's like Hufflepuffs and Gryffindors are in there and they're just doing homework, like a silent study session type thing. And they're doing homework. Everyone's staring at Harry. Ron gives him like a smile, like a reassuring smile. It's so funny. Um, and I love Harry's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back common room. I'll meet you guys in there later. Cause he's uncomfortable. People are staring at him. People always stare cause he's Harry Potter, but they're staring at him for like, you know, the wrong reasons this time. So, um, I think it's so funny that Harry gets up and leaves and he walks right next to them, right where they're sitting, like a few inches away and just stares them down. I love that. I think that's so funny that they did that. This is another part where there's a deleted scene and it's when Hufflepuffs are discussing mainly Ernie Macmillan and Hannah Abbott about how they, why Harry could be the heir of Slytherin and because Justin told him that he was a muggle-born, that's why he's hiding. He doesn't want Harry to see him, like all this stuff, right? Just like a nice little scene that was added in um, and deleted. Another deleted scene that's right after this is when Harry runs into Hagrid. He says, tells him about like another rooster found dead and all this stuff. Again, this is just stuff that's in the books that was filmed, but isn't like in the full theatrical version, but it's still really um, it's like another clue, kind of like the diary in the beginning with Jenny forgetting it at the burrow and they had to go back for it. It's just a nice little clue where it's like you read it and you later on, you're like, oh yeah, that's such a big hint. Like, you know, it's things like that. Another one that I want to mention, like that's not in Chamber of Secrets, but it's Goblet of Fire, for instance, is Victor Crumb. This isn't a deleted scene in Goblet of Fire, by the way, but Triwizard Tournament, Victor Crumb, doing like some arm circles. They're not really circles. He's just kind of moving his arms back and forth. Um, like some moving stretches, like walking down the lake, you know, that's like a big hint. Harry had not yet figured out the clue of the egg for the second task in the Triwizard Tournament, but Crumb already, you know, kind of knew what he would have to do. So this is a really big hint, him going and training, um, like swimming, training, practice, whatever. Like, it's just, that's an example of it. Like it's these little clues and hints that are like, you might not catch them like the first time, second, third, fourth, fifth time, whatever. But once you do, you're like, oh my gosh, that is such a good detail added in once you do get it. Later on, again, we hear the brilliant Jason Isaacs as the basilisk voice. Really well done again, of course. Um, the little details of the spiders, you know, at this part are also really, really cool. 
something that I think would have been fun to see at this part where Harry finds Nick and Justin petrified. McGonagall sends him to Dumbledore's office. Well, I mean, she accompanies him too. But she conjures a fan in the book to fan nearly headless Nick to the hospital wing. And I think that is so cool. That would have been really funny to see. Um, Again, not necessary, but I think it would have been cool. Also, an interesting touch is that there's no crowd at this part in the movie. In the book, there's a crowd. They all see him and more people are convinced, especially Ernie Macmillan, that Harry is the heir of Slytherin and everything. And in the book, it's... It's still equally as like intense, maybe even more so without the crowd. It's just McGonagall like in awe and shock and being like, I, it's out of my hands. I got to send you to Dumbledore. Like, you know, so I, I do think that it's interesting to not have the crowd there, but it's still the impact is still there, which I think is really cool. And then once Harry is in Dumbledore's office, seeing Dumbledore's office for the first time, And reading about it, like in this part in the book and movie, is really cool. Seeing it, seeing the trinkets and decor and and the portraits and all that is, I really like it. I also really like the way um, the Sorting Hat is done. It's pretty similar to the first book, of course, but you know the conversation Harry has with it is great. Same with Fox, you know, making him look like a fragile, dying bird and bursting into flames and then being reborn from his ashes. Really cool the way they made that look in the movie. So again, another deleted scene that comes after this is when the twins are joking about Harry um, being there with Slytherin, like, oh yeah, you don't want to get too close to him or whatever. And in the, in the book, Harry does not mind. He even says that, like, I'm glad at least they're, you know, seeing how crazy this is, you know, that people are assuming this about me. And in the movie, they make Harry look like all upset. And Ron has to be like, oh, come on, Harry. The twins are just having some fun, you know, joking around. And in the, in the book, he's glad they are. Harry's like, well, I'm glad some people are joking around like they, cause they know the twins and, you know, Harry and Hermione, they, they all know a lot of people know how insane it is that Harry would be there, Slytherin, that he'd be the one behind these all, all these attacks and stuff. So I, I like how that is in the book, you know, that the twins are joking, and I like how Harry appreciates that the twins realize the absurdity of it all. But in the movie, Harry's all like upset about it, you know, and so I don't know. It's just a deleted scene for a reason, I guess. Um, but yeah. So next thing that I've always thought, you know how you'll be watching, um, usually it's animated movies um, where you watch it and it's like a food or a feast or a certain treat or whatever that's like particular for a show or just like a spread of food in a show will look really good and you always want to try one in real life. So the thing in this movie that looks good to me, I've always thought this ever since I was little, is the cupcakes. The cupcakes that um, Harry levitates, he, you know, Magarian Leviosa so that Crab and Goyle can eat them with a sleeping draft in them. In the movie, they look so good. They're so simple. It's just like, um, like vanilla cupcakes with like chocolate on top, but it's not frosting. It's just like, it looks like sprinkles kind of, but they're not falling everywhere. So they're not, they're not like attached. It's almost like they're, it's just like chocolate baked in the middle. I don't know. But if, you know, you can visualize them if you've seen the movie as many times as I have, um, or even, even just a few times, you could probably visualize them. But they just look so good. They just look so simple and 
just really good. So I've always liked that detail. I think they look so good. Um, the Polyjuice transformation that comes after this, so well done. Um, also, the actors that played Crab and Goyle did a really good job because they had, so did like um, Daniel and Rupert because they had to time the voices of every, of how they did it. Um, something I do have to mention though, in the books, Polyjuice Potion voices, once you take Polyjuice Potion for a person, you have their voice. You have like everything that they have, including like, like Harry turned into, um, Goyle. He doesn't have that bad eyesight anymore, you know, like, and they have the voices, but in the movie, it's Harry and Ron's voices still. I don't know why they did this, um, because fourth Goblet of Fire, Mad-Eye Moody, um, his voice is perfectly fine. <laughs> um, so I don't know. It's I don't know why they did it that way, but they did. So just just little things, I guess, right? But either way, the Crab and Goyle actors did a great job of like integrating like their lip movements to the voices of the actors of, of Daniel and Rupert as Harry and Ron. So I liked it. I think it was a great scene. Um, Tom Felton, of course, is the perfect Draco Malfoy. He does a great job of being so nasty. Um, that whole scene against with Percy and he's like, crap, where have you two been? And then the whole, um, glasses thing, like, why are you wearing glasses? And Goyle, you know, Harry as Goyle says, reading, I didn't know you could read. That part is so good. And it's been said so many times that Tom Felton forgot his line and that he just made this up on the spot. I don't know if that's true, but I have seen that, that being said so many times over the years. And I just think it's great either way, whether he made it up or not, it's just so funny. And I've always loved that part. I also love, love, love the Slytherin common room. I wish we could see more of the common rooms, like, you know, books and movies besides Gryffindor, but it is so cool. I really, really love, I mean, I'm a Slytherin. You're listening to the Aris of Slytherin. It's, you know, I'm a little biased. But I really, and I like something from each of the common rooms, the way they're described. But the Slytherin common room, um, the green, the dark, like green, blue, blackish, grayish hues looks so good. And it's, you know, it's um, the lakes in the background, which is a great detail because that's what it is. Like, you know, Slytherin's like um, by beneath the lake. That's why it's so dark in there. The common room is huge. It looks ginormous. It looks... Like it's way bigger than the Gryffindor common room in the movie, um, the way they did it, but it looks so good. Um, very comfy, I guess not as cozy as like the Gryffindor common room would be, but you know, you wouldn't expect that from a Slytherin common room, but just the way it's done, it looks spectacular. The lake, um, I really like the way they did it. And I like the interaction with, um, Malfoy, Crab and Goyle at this part. Of course, it's not really Crab and Goyle, it's Harry and Ron. And just Tom Felton, again, like so many line deliveries throughout the series are great, but him saying, you think there's someone here who's worse than Dumbledore and like Harry Potter. And then the hair of crab starts turning red because he's Ron and them running up the stairs. Like this is just so good. And, um, again, the visuals of the common room look great. I really also love seeing the Slytherin robes on the trio. It's, it's, it's fun. It's just like a nice little change, which is, it's cool to see. Um, the way they made Hermione look like, you know, with the cat hairs was, um, pretty well done as well. Um, one of the next scenes, um, 
it's the trio talking. Um, it's a lead at scene. They're just talking in the hospital wing because Hermione's there recovering, you know, from the whole <laughs> polyjuice potion incident with the cat robes. Or sorry, the cat hairs that she got off Millicent Bolstrode's robes. It's just the trio talking in this leaded scene. And, um, you know, Harry is showing Hermione the diary and how nothing's written in there and how it's strange. And, and um, Ron reveals, oh, yeah, I know that name, Tom Riddle, because he, um, in his attention, he had to wipe the polish of trophies. And that's one of the trophies that he was wiping was the Tom Riddle special award for services to the school. So it's it's cool. It's just a nice, calm, like late night scene. Like they're in the common room, it's nighttime. They're, there's more people in there, the petrified ones, you know? But hearing Ron Hermione, they're just talking. And I really like it. It's just calm and it's just nice to see them have this interaction. You know, it doesn't add a lot to the scene. It, again, it's just like the diary um, and like Hagrid with the roosters. It just adds a little bit more detail from the book. Um, again, it doesn't take away like a bunch, but it's, it's one of those details that it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's really good info. So the next scene that happens is Harry, you know, the memory of Tom Riddle and the diary brings Harry, um, into the story, you know, 50 years before with the chamber being open and it's told from Tom Riddle's point of view, like he's going through the memory and I've always liked this part ever since I was little, like I was like, oh, this is cool. Cause we see like, you know the little like greenish sepia-ish type filter that makes it look kind of old-timey and stuff. Um, it's cool to see Dumbledore look way older than he's supposed to from 50 years ago. But, you know, we see these little details and everything. We see young Hagrid. We don't really see his face because it's Robbie Coltrane still playing young Hagrid there. But Christian Coulson is the actor who played Tom Riddle in this movie in Chamber of Secrets. And I think that it is one of the most perfectly casted roles in the entire series. He is phenomenal as Tom Riddle. He, oh my gosh, I can't even describe. He he is so convincing. He is just phenomenal as Tom Riddle. And this is the first scene that we see him in. He's only in this one and um, one towards the end. But he just does a great job. So I really do love his portrayal of Tom Riddle. Next scene, um, Robbie Coltrane is Hagrid saying, Matt and Harry, you wouldn't be talking about me now, would you? I love that part. It is so awkward with the trio just kind of exchanging looks with each other as Hagrid is right there. It's just funny. I just liked mentioning it. And the next scene is the Quidditch game and it gets canceled. But something that I think would have been cool to see is how in the book, when Wood does all his plays and his plans and all that for Quidditch, on the board he is able to tap his wand on the board and the squiggly lines are moving and the arrows are zooming around. And it's just cool to, that would have been so cool to see. And in the movie, it's just a standard, plain, stagnant, unmoving board. You know, again, not a big detail that we need, but it would have been cool. I, I like that part in the book and I think it would have been really well. So next scene when, you know, Harry and Ron go under Harry's cloak to go visit Hagrid and ask him about the Chamber of Secrets. That scene is really well. That's when Hagrid gets arrested. And for some reason, we have Ponytail Lucius Malfoy. And I don't know why, but I'm not complaining about it. I like it. And I like how his hair is tied in like a bow. It's like a ribbon tied in a bow. And I think it looks so good. So that part is, it's just fine by me. And um, 
the part where he Hagrid he even says like you you move Dumbledore you take Dumbledore out of the school mark my words there'll be killings next and then Lucius saying you think so hmm because he he's trying to continue to the perpetuation of the story that Hagrid you know is opening the chamber even though he knows he's not and he knows he never did but I think that part is is good I like those details like this is again great actors but it's it's really cool that they did that like I don't remember catching that very much despite how many times I've seen this movie but I did this time and I wanted to mention it because I really liked it and also this part I did I definitely did notice um um, all my other rewatches but with Dumbledore giving you know right where Harry and Ron are standing underneath the cloak like a look of you know understanding and like I kind of know you're there like I I like the way that um that's shown so next, they have to go into the Forbidden Forest. For some reason in the movie, they call it the Dark Forest. Random, weird, unnecessary change. You could have just said Forbidden, but, you know, they don't. Um, this part is great, though. Rupert Grint is always fantastic, but especially this part, showing his fear of the spiders. Like, why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? Like, I, I've always liked that line, so that's that part is good. And I have to say, the Forbidden Forest looks great as well. It's scary and dark and ominous in the trees and stuff. But it is scarier in the books. In the book, because the spiders um, drag them, drag Harry and Ron and Fang along the way. Like that part is—it's funny. And um, I—it would have been cool to see like Harry and Ron screaming in the movie, like just terrified for their lives. We see that more in the book. Like that's—you know—we we kind of get that more, but. Still, it's great the way they're going through it. Um, Harry is a little bit braver in the movie, I feel like, because in the book, he's still terrified. Maybe not as terrified as Ron because he's not scared of spiders like that. But the spiders are scary. In the movie, they're really well done. They're, they don't look weird, you know? They look how a giant spider would look. There's not, like, random-looking animation, CGI, whatever. The way they did Aragog and other spiders, it's, it looks good and looks convincing. Um, I also love the way Ron, um, River Grint says as Ron, Harry, I don't like this at all. Like, can we go back now? Like just again, line delivery. It's just so good. So, you know, some things keep moving along with Harry and Ron and the Gryffindors being told that Hogwarts is, you know, going to close and all that. Um, Ron and Harry find out about, um, the chamber, the basilisk It's mostly Harry having these epiphanies, but I like the way that part is done in the movie. It's, dark um i mean it's like you know evening almost nighttime or whatever it's dark outside and it's in the castle it's just the candlelight like it looks so good i really like the way that um i guess the set like design and the lighting it it's really good at that part and it, it adds to like the realizations of the monster being a basilisk and all that it's really cool next part that i want to mention is when harry and ron go to lockhart's office and I have no notes. It is so good. I, this is one of my favorite scenes. I love the way that they say this all, the urgency, the the shock. Like, it is, it's just so good. Um, I love how Lockhart is packing up and he's doing it in a haste and he's all quick about it. And there's, he has his wigs. His wigs are just on display on his desk as he is, you know, packing up. Again, this is not something that was in the book, but it's just so funny that they added it in. 
and Lockhart doesn't wear wigs in the books, you know, but it's, it's just so good. You see the little, I, I don't know, not like a bust, like a head bust, I guess, which is what a bust is. It's just the head, but it's like a mannequin head or whatever. And it has the wigs on it. And it, it's just so good. That part is really good. And I like how he's just nonchalant, like, oh yeah, he explains about how, you know, the memory charms, that's what he does. And then he's like, in fact, I'm going to have to do the same to you. And then Harry and Ron, like, nope, I don't think so. Like, it's just so good. No notes. It is such a good scene. Um, One thing that, again, like, I mentioned it for the book, Ron should not have thrown the wand out of the window. And in the movie, it's like, oh, he didn't throw it out the window, but they made him drop it and they just didn't pick it up. They could have used that. Again, it's consistent with the book. It's just done in a different way, which is fine. Then when they get to the bathroom and they go into the chamber, I do like the way it's done, like the sliding of the sinks out of the way and them going down the tunnel and the entrance and the details of like the plumbing and, you know, the pipes and the animal bones and all that. That's I like the way that's done. That's pretty cool. Um, also, like the rock avalanche type thing that happens, the rock slide, you know, that separates Ron and Lockhart from Harry. That part is well done. Lockhart losing his memory and then being clueless. I like that as well. Um, then when Harry goes on and he opens, he tells in parcel tongue, of course, the snake vault, the snake vault door with, it has like a bunch of snakes on it. And then one snake just slides around as the other snakes move out of the way. That is done really well. I love the way they made that look. Same with the chamber itself. It looks so good. The colors, the detail, the Zalzar Slytherin head statue thing. I think it's well done. The water, the other snakes, it is so, it's good. I like the way that it's done. Um, just this whole part is so good. When Tom Riddle comes out again, um, Christian Coulson as Tom Riddle, no notes, all caps. I have in my notes for this episode, I wrote Tom Riddle comes out, no notes, all caps, underline, underline, because it's perfect. It's perfect. Um, I have no complaints about it. The way, again, the dialogue is very similar to the book, the lines that are used, but his delivery of it, man, he is so convincing. Um, he, with his Slytherin, um, he has the Slytherin tie, but he has the Hogwarts crest on his robes, not a Slytherin crest. So it's, you know, a little interesting detail. Um, cause that's not consistent with the other characters in the movies, but not like a big thing. He has the prefect pin, which that detail I do really like. Um, it's so good. He is so convincing. I'm just going to play the clip cause it is just way better than me speaking. Well, you haven't finished it this time. In a few hours, the mandrake draft will be ready and everyone who is petrified will be all right again. Haven't I told you? Killing mudbloods doesn't matter to me anymore. For many months now, my new target has been you. How is it that a baby with no extraordinary magical talent was able to defeat the greatest wizard of all time? How did you escape with nothing but a scar while Lord Voldemort's powers were destroyed? Why do you care how I escaped? Voldemort was after your time. Voldemort is my past present and future that is just amazing and it's honestly he's so terrifying as Voldemort he talks in a calm but an unnerving voice um 
And you can see that he's like angry. He There's the monster that's inside him that's present. You can see that cunning mastermind, you know, um, that eventually is going to lead to the Voldemort that we know today. And, oh God, Christian Coulson is just absolutely phenomenal in this scene. He really captures Tom Riddle's attributes. Um, he's charming. He's handsome, manipulative, dangerous. He... Oh my gosh, he just does so good. He's described as handsome, charming, manipulative in the book. Um, and honestly, I mean, for me, I do think that the actor who played him in Half-Blood Prince in those flashbacks was good as well. Um, but he was almost like too creepy to the point where like it just was like, I don't know. I wasn't as convinced. That guy did good, but Christian Coulson in Chamber of Secrets, I just like his portrayal of Tom Riddle better. So great. Um, he could totally play an old, I mean, Ray Fiennes as the Voldemort, you know, the present day Voldemort, I guess you can say in the series is fantastic as well. But it would be cool to see Christian Coulson, who is now older. That's the reason why in, in, um, Half-Blood Prince, that he wasn't that Tom Riddle because the director, David Yates, thought that he was too old to play a 16-year-old Tom Riddle. I mean, kind of makes sense, I guess, um, even though way older people play high school-aged characters every day. Um, but to see Christian Coulson, who's now older, to see him play, like, Voldemort one day with all the makeup and stuff, like, if they're, you know, they as they, people say, they're going to do new shows for Harry Potter at some point in the future, you know. That would be so cool to see him if they were ever to do a reboot. I don't think they should because, you know, maybe whatever. But I think that it would be so cool because he just does such a great job at capturing that character of Voldemort. So convincing, so unnerving, so mysterious, yet, oh, he, oh my God, it's so good. I can't say enough good things. Again, no notes. Great. Speaking of the parcel mouth, it looks good. I love um, the way he does the writing with the wands, the Tom Arvola riddle and switches it to I am Voldemort, Lord Voldemort. That part is really amazing as well. And I really, really like the way the basilisk look. I look, I think the basilisk looks great. Um, this scene is super fast in the book though, but in the movie, it's kind of drawn out again, you know, some action, some anticipation, um, jump scares, things like that. A few minor differences, um, like the sword, Harry, Harry puts the, hat, the sorting hat onto his head and the sword falls out and hits him. But in the movie, the, the sorting hat is like on the ground somewhere and then this, the sword appears in the sorting hat. You know, minor differences, nothing crazy. Um, ever since I was little, I always thought it was really cool that after Harry stabs the basilisk in the movie, like the basilisk, like its arm, neck, its whole body, because, you know, the way snakes look, it's just one thing, <laughs> one tube, you know, as a body. Um the way it flails its head back in pain, those noises, that part is really cool as well. Again, the way that Christian Coulson um, says, funny, the damage a silly little book can do. That part is really great as well. And I like the Horcrux destroy, um, destroying scene, I guess you can call it like the way he gets destroyed. We don't know it's a Horcrux yet, you know, for the first time at this point in the series, Harry doesn't know. But looking back on it, once Harry does learn and the way that the memory of Tom Riddle reacted to Harry stabbing the diary with the basilisk fang, and he remembers that. And I think the way that it's done in the in this movie is really great too. Just it shows him being destroyed. It shows 
Tom Riddle, like in pain and, and anger and all that, it's anguish, whatever you want to call it. It just is very well done. Um, one thing that is not well done is the character of Jenny Weasley. And I'm, and I, uh, so many Harry Potter fans will back me up on this. In the books, her character is strong and fierce and she's got nerve and she's tough. In the movie, she's just, she's just kind of there. She's just kind of there in the background and then she's not in the background it oh my god i bonnie wright who plays jenny i i don't think she was a bad jenny it's the way that i guess the script was done for her character she wasn't really given much to do and say you know and the book of course the book has more detail for all the characters and and things like that but especially at this part in the in the book jenny is sobbing she's apologizing to harry she's like i'm sorry tom riddle manipulated me in the diary and i didn't know and once i realized i tried to stop and i tried to tell you and ron and she's sobbing and she's sad and she's remorseful and in the book she wakes up and she's like yeah um riddle made me do it and and i'm just oh my god like it it's not necessarily like uh i mean the worst thing in the ser- in the movies but like, really, it's just so inaccurate. It's such an inaccurate portrayal of what Jenny actually feels like in terms of what she's going through in that moment. Um, so it's, you know, not a huge fan of that part um, of the of the way they made Jenny um, react in those moments. But that that part, I definitely. Um, have notes on <laughs> because it just, it's not what she was like. She was terrified. She was sobbing. She was sad. She was scared. She thought she was going to k- get kicked out of Hogwarts and in so much trouble. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not something that was transferred well in this adaptation. A lot of things were, but this, this is not one of them. Something that is really cool in the next scene is when Harry is in Dumbledore's office after Ron leaves to go send the release papers to Azkaban for Hagrid. Um, Lucius comes in with Dobby, and I love um, the snake details. They're on Lucius's clothes. It's on his um, wand. I really like it. It's super cool. Dobby, again, perfect. No notes on Dobby. Um, Jason Isaacs as Lucius is great again. And in an interview, he said that he told Chris Columbus, the director, that he really wanted an exit line um, when he was, like, you know, turning around to leave that scene, like, Lucius exiting Dumbledore's office. And he said that he turned to um, Daniel Radcliffe, who plays Harry, and they didn't tell him ahead of time, like, hey, in this take, we're going to do an exit line or whatever. But he tells him, let us hope Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. And... He says, Dan Radcliffe as Harry says, don't worry, I will be. And it was completely unscripted and everyone was just in awe. Like Chris Columbus, um, Jason Isaacs, they were like, wow, that was great. And that's cool. I really do like that part. And I like um, the way Daniel Radcliffe delivered the line, despite not knowing that it was he was going to say it. It was, it was cool. And I love that improvisation. Um, so that was great. Another thing I love this next scene, of course, one of my favorites of the whole series is Dobby being set free. He gets that sock from Lucius, thanks to Harry. Um, and it's it's so cool. Like, I love how he's free and I love how he defends Harry. In the book, Lucius just kind of tosses the sock aside, doesn't give it a second thought. In the movie, it's a lot more, like, um, sneaky, which I like. Like, Harry puts it in the 
diary, hands it to um, Lucius. Lucius shoves it into Dobby's hands. In the book, the only thing that's different is that Lucius gets the sock and tosses it aside and, and Dobby just happens to catch it. You know, I think that this is a, a minor change in the movie that is for the better. I like this change. I like that Lucius doesn't realize it, you know, that the sock, that the sock is there and he just hands it to Dobby and Dobby sees the sock and he's like, okay, now I'm free. I like that change. Um, one thing too, as I was like do, watching this rewatch, and I probably mentioned this um, last episode because this was like in the last chapter um, for this book, but Lucius, like, yeah, he's mad and he's very annoyed at Harry that he did this. He's furious. But like also you can get another house elf, Lucius. First of all, you're extremely rich and there's other house elves out there in the world that want to work for wizards. They probably don't want to work for you because you're really mean and terrible. But regardless, Dobby is the only house elf that wanted to be free out of like all of them. So it's, I don't think it's that big of a deal. But again, it's like Harry kind of got the best of him and outsmarted him in this way. So I guess that's why he's so mad. But also just get another house elf, Lucius. Like just stop. Another thing too, though, like Dobby being in, in, in Malfoy Manor, He's learned so much about Malfoys and their past and Voldemort and all that. So, you know, it's not necessarily like the best thing to have your house self be freed. And now he might be telling people your secrets, but not like a huge concern to um, Lucius at this point anymore. So next thing that is really great um, is the scene where they're in the Great Hall and, and Hermione comes back. And so did the rest of the people that were petrified and then Dumbledore cancels exams for the year. And it's just great. Gryffindor's there. They win the House Cup. It's a really great environment. And then Hagrid comes back. And he walks up to Harry, Ron, Hermione. And he says that he couldn't have done it without any of them. Like, you know, be freed from Azkaban. And I love how Harry tells him, it's not Hogwarts without you, Hagrid. And then everyone starts clapping. The whole um, Great Hall, except for like Malfoy. Because Malfoy's just terrible. And some like the Slytherins, you know. But I love the way this is done and leaving Hogwarts playing in the background is just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. This is also very touching too, especially Robbie Coltrane who passed away in September um, of last year. It's, it's March now, so it's been a few months. But this, was, this video was going around a lot. I also shared this video um, on the podcast, um, social medias on my personal ones because Robbie Coltrane had passed away and he played Hagrid and to be in this whole scene being told it's not Hogwarts without you Hagrid and the clapping and, and the the song leaving Hogwarts playing is just beautiful it was so well done and it was it's so touching especially looking back on it now unfortunately Robbie did pass away and it's very much an in memoriam type tribute and a really great scene to remember him by and a really great scene to honor him with so this part in the in the book or sorry in the movie to end on this to end on the clapping and the cheers that um Hagrid is back is just really great and I also love Justin Finch Fletchley his actor you know he you can totally see his change of heart his clapping and he realizes the truth and that Harry didn't like attack him was trying to help him and all this stuff like all the truth comes out all exams are canceled people are happy about that not Hermione but Everyone else is happy and, and it's just a happy ending and it's great, especially because it was getting scary before for everybody and it ends on a really great um, scene and I absolutely love it. Like 
no notes on that scene either. Um, so I, I, again, like I said, this movie has really got a special place in my heart after, um, this podcast, reading the book and rereading the book and the movie, rewatching the movie for these notes. I have just, wow. I like adore Chamber of Secrets now. So I, especially this scene, this scene is just like the cherry on top. Like it is just perfect. Um, it isn't the, technically the last scene though, because there is a deleted scene and it is Lockhart with like on the cover of a book, of course, Wizarding World books, you know, the pictures move and it's in the display window at, um, Flourish and Blots at Diagon Alley. And I love, um, how it says, who am I? That's the title of the book. And Lockhart is in like a straight jacket. So it's just funny. It's just like, it's almost like a mid credit scene, even though it's like right at the beginning of the credits. So I guess a beginning credit scene. Um, but I do like it. It's, it's really cool. And I like the way, um, that they did that. It's like the first, it's like end credit, mid credit scenes before Marvel did it. Cause Marvel didn't come out till years later. Um, but I do like that part. And that is the Chamber of Secrets movie. Phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. Um, it's still, I don't, I wouldn't say it's my favorite movie or book still, but I, I, again, newfound appreciation and love for it. I adored this movie and book. It was just so great. Really great adaptation. Chris Columbus directed Chamber of Secrets and Sorcerer's Stone. And something that Daniel Radcliffe told him um, when they did the Sorcerer's Stone, because it was a 20 years since it came out, the reunion with a lot of the cast and the crew and directors and things like that. He told Chris Columbus, Daniel told Chris, that I don't think you get enough credit for how you set up the series so well. And it's true. He did so many practical effects and he had a really great vision. And I think that he gave us the beginning of a phenomenal series, my favorite series of all time. Um, And the way that he made everything look and the direction he gave, he really did a phenomenal job. It, it looks amazing. Um, and I think it sets up the story really well, the, the movies, the portrayal of what we're seeing on the screens very well for the rest of the series. So that is chamber of secrets. Wow. I cannot believe that I'm done with it now. It's been a long time coming cause I had to take so many breaks with school, but I'm glad that I did it and we're done talking about it and I enjoyed every second of it. And I'm even more excited now to talk about Prisoner of Azkaban because, oh my gosh, one of my favorite books and movies. It is so amazing. I know I say this about every Harry Potter book and movie, but Prisoner of Azkaban is one of my absolute favorites. Um, It's like top two, three favorite. That's how amazing it is for book um, and movie actually. Well, that's hard because I don't, it's not my, I would say it's top three or four for favorites, um, book, but movie it's top two or three. It is just so amazing. I love it. And next week I'm going to be posting the first episode for Prisoner of Azkaban book. And I'm going to be covering chapter one and two of Prisoner of Azkaban because they're a little bit shorter chapters and it'll, you know, I don't think I need to be do. I need to do like two separate episodes for, I can just combine the two chapters into one episode to do one, like whatever, 40, 45 minute long episode, an hour, however long it's going to be compared to like two little tiny ones, you know? So I'm going to be doing that. That's going to be the episode for next week. So you guys can email me at there's a Southern podcast at gmail.com. 
Twitter is at Slytherin Pod. Facebook page is um, Slytherin. There's a Slytherin podcast. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, Anchor, and Pocket Casts. And make sure you read chapter one and two of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban for next week's episode. Thank you for listening to the Heirs of Slytherin, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Mika Ella, your host. Bye.